Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with thought leaders and business executives who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is our regular monthly guest, Wayne Saden. He's part of our digital all-star team here to talk about Saden on digital. Wayne, welcome back. Good to have you. Thanks a lot, Bob. I really appreciate being here, and I'm glad to talk to you this morning. Wayne, it's such a uh, timely issue now. So many things going on. Every company trying to figure out how do I move into my digital future? How do I get closer to customers? How do I put the customer at the center of everything? And so probably we're seeing some shifts in the C-suite around chief digital officer, chief information officer, chief technology officer, whatever you want to call that. But if we focus this down a little on the CIOs, and I think as we've talked about before, the roles are changing quite remarkably, but you had a pretty good idea coming into today's discussion about what are some of the questions you'd toss out to a prospective CIO coming into an organization or even one who's been there for a while. So Wayne, just, you know, touch on a couple that are top of mind for you, and then maybe we'll do a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of an interview here. That'd be great, Bob. Well, first of all, I want to say you mentioned all these titles, CIO, CTO, CDO. So let me reiterate that I've been all three. Sometimes I've been more than one at the same time. Uh, depending on the organization, the challenge that's faced by IT is how do you run the organization day to day and how do you partner with the organization to grow and transform? So whatever the title, the question is who's the person running your technology and who's the person the board should look to. So having said that, I think the board and the CIO don't talk enough. Most boards talk to their CIO four times a year. The CIO comes in, does a state of the IT, and does usually the DR and cybersecurity review, because that's kind of required by the insurance carrier, required by the regulators, and so on. And so you get into a very stilted conversation. And I say this having sat on both sides of that discussion. So the first question I would ask a CIO if I was a board member is who do you spend your time talking with? So the obvious answer is, well, I spend my time with my boss and I spend my time with my boss's team and I spend my time with my team. That's how most people think they ought to spend their time, being a manager, wrong. I think that's the, the wrong place for a C-suite executive, especially one charged with transforming the organization to spend his or her time. The answer I'd like to hear is I spend my time with frontline team members. I spend my time with middle managers. I spend my time with customers and prospects, maybe go out on sales calls. I talk to my ecosystem partners, who are my suppliers, who are the people I work with to deliver solutions. Even gas, who are my competitors. And then lastly, the executive committee executives. You gotta be out there talking to the people who use what you build. Um, and so the question then that leads up to that is, what do you ask them? What do you talk about? Really, there's a couple of things. I want to know what keeps you up at night. If you are a, a customer, if you're a prospect, if you're an employee, if you're a C-suite exec or a board member, what are you worried about? Because if I don't know what you're worried about, how can I work on it? How can I help you? How can I fix it? Um, and the next question is kind of a funny one. I tell people I never come in the morning wanting to be a Dilbert cartoon, wanting to be that person that screws things up for the company. But too many times in larger organizations, those of us providing services 
can become Dilbert cartoons. So the question I ask everybody I meet is what dumb things are we doing that we can stop doing to make you more productive, to make your customers more productive? So another question, another way to ask that question is how do we make it hard to do business with us? Every time I, as the IT leader and my team, can remove an impediment to doing business, we have improved our customer experience and our employee experience. And that's what I want to focus on. You know, Wayne, those are, those are great topics, you know, to jump into this on. And um, I recently gave a talk to a pretty big group of CTOs. One of the things that I asked them was, I said, you know, how about this idea of, we've heard for so long, right, this notion, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I just think that's one of those crippling ideas that at, the, at its core, it has some value. But the notion is just keep doing what you did yesterday, today, and hope or expect it to last into tomorrow. And I think part of a whoever this top uh, business technology strategist is here, business technology leader coming forward, is to identify things. And the issue isn't are they broken or not, but rather is it optimal for those externally oriented things that you just described? Customers, where they're headed, is the company on the right path? Are we breaking into new revenue streams and so forth? Is that a, a fair assessment? I think it's a very fair assessment. And I think that attitude is a horrible attitude and a, a fatal attitude for most companies. Look, I started my career as an engineer. My job when I first got out of school was improving business processes on the factory floor. So when you talk about manufacturing, I lived it. I was right there building stuff. And so I had a boss who told me once, if we've always done it that way, it's probably wrong. And, and so I like the idea of a half-life of an idea, half-life of a process. You know, half-life in radioactive decay is how long half of the material is gone. So think about any process we put in. We put it in when we were one-tenth the size. We put it in a regulatory environment that was different. We put it in with a different competitive situation. We have a different worldview. And now here it is X number of months, days, years later. The question is how much did we put in back then that is still working? And the answer is very little. So I think the half-life of a process used to be 10, 12, 15 years when I started in business. Today, it's probably two or three years which means, frighteningly enough, half of everything we did three years ago was probably nonsense today. And so when I work with clients, and I do this all the time, we're always looking at the process. You know, I'm the IT guy. That's how I'm seen. I'm the CIO. I'm the CIO consultant. I had a client say to me, you're a very unusual IT guy, because whenever you come talk to me, you want to talk about the business and about the process. You don't want to talk about tech stuff. And I said, thank you. That's the best thing I heard all day. Because we've got to dig into why we're doing what we're doing. Um, Bob, you know, the notion of re-engineering. Remember re-engineering was all the fad for a while. I want to remind the listeners the name of the article written by Jim Champy that defined re-engineering. The title of the article was, Don't Automate, Obliterate. And it was not about how can I do all the nits and nats a little better? It was if I got a process that goes from here to here to here, do I need to do that step? And that's what we as business leaders today are not paying attention to. Are the processes, are the controls, are the tools we're using adding value? 
And we know we got to move faster. And one way to do it is not just to do everything we do faster, but to stop doing stuff that doesn't add value. So if your manufacturing CTOs are telling you, ah, good enough, give me their name so I can short their stock uh -huh. because uh -huh. they're doomed. Yeah. Wayne, that's a, that's, a, that's a great outlook on it. And I think just what you were saying there, the notion about obliteration, the move to digital requires not just efficiency of doing the same stuff we did before, slightly better, slightly less expensively, but it's doing entirely new sets of things. And to get to that point, right, one of your other uh, key issues that you wanted to bring up here, part of this interview process for the prospective uh, technology leader here, is about you know what I've sometimes called the 80-20 trap, which is the budget gets overwhelmingly uh, tilted toward maintenance, toward infrastructure, toward keeping the lights on and so forth like that. And for many years, right, a lot of uh, technology leaders were able to say, look, hey, I'm doing everything we can. There's just no way out of it. We don't have the physics. We don't have the capability to get around it. But today in the age of the cloud and so forth like that, I don't think that's a viable argument. So your prospective interview comes in and you ask him this question or her this question, what is the ratio that you're devoting toward innovation versus maintenance? They better have an answer that comes in at what level? Well, they don't know what your shop is like. So there is no good number from a FASI. I tend to work with companies that need a little bit of extra help getting their IT up to speed. You know, remember, my, my motto is when you outgrow your IT strategy, call me, and that's who calls me. So when I look at shops, I look at them oftentimes that are running 80% run and maintain and 20% or less transform and grow. And, and to your point, we are in an age in 2019 when the technology exists to transform that very quickly compared to what we might've done 10 years ago. And then that touches on my favorite topic, as you know, technical debt. Mm -hmm. Organizations have invested woefully in maintaining what they've got. To go back to our first interview months and months ago, I gave you this example. If I was gonna build a new refinery, a new chemical plant, and I went to the board and said, I need 500 million bucks. And they said, great, what are you gonna spend maintaining it? And you said, ah, don't worry about it, I'll handle it with my existing staff. They'd throw you out the room, if not out the window. But if you walked in and said, I'm gonna do a $500 million ERP, and they said, and how much will you spend enhancing it? You said, oh, I'll cover it with my existing IT staff. They would shake your hand and buy you dinner. So we, we're at a point in time when people have to stop sweeping the technical debt under the rug because the pile under the rug is up to about here. Now, I'm not just the speaker of gloom and doom. What do we do about it? A simple answer is hyperscale cloud, modern technology allows me to kind of rip off the bottom of my stack, the infrastructure layer, and start pushing that stuff out to a hyperscale cloud provider. Now, now, what does that mean? It means that all of a sudden, I'm not in the server maintenance business. I'm not in the virus patching business. I don't know if you saw that Microsoft announced a zero-day exploit yesterday that they even patched Windows XP. Now, I have a number of organizations I work with, and all of them rushed to do a patch of the workstations last night. And I'm happy to say they got it done. And this weekend, a lot of them are doing servers. But what if Microsoft did that for you and you didn't have to have a team devoted to doing that? What if, or what if um, Amazon did it? What if IBM did it? What if Google did it? So all of a sudden, a lot of that debt you've been sweeping under the rug, my 12-year-old and 15-year-old servers, 
I can pretty quickly move them to an environment, either servers hosted by somebody else or even better, serverless, where I'm no longer having to stand up servers, even if other people are maintaining them. I'm buying database. I'm buying transactions. I'm buying units of useful work instead of inputs to the IT process. And so people don't recognize this. And, and I would not, Bob, advocate lift and shift to the cloud in many cases. It's not efficient. But if I'm suffering from this technical debt overhang in my infrastructure stack, it may be cost effective to rip the bottom off, move the top, and then transform it once I've got rid of some of that overhang. So there are ways to move in the infrastructure and platform as a service. Even better is look at converting some of your things to software as a service, to SaaS. We talked last time about ERP. We can talk about CRM. We can talk about IoT. We can talk about whatever you want. There are credible, viable, supportable SaaS products, SaaS vendors out there that allow me as a CIO to get out of the business of patching stuff, to get out of the business of custom coding and start using low-code tools, no-code tools, design thinking, and build me a system that I can have a vendor maintain my COTS, my commercial off-the-shelf, while I enhance it. You know, Salesforce has products, Microsoft has products, Oracle has products that allow me to extend that ERP. And now I can get kind of the best of both worlds. So as a CIO, with a reasonable investment of both time and money, we can transform from the do-it-yourself Lego IT world of the past to a modern world where we're focused on business process and customer opportunity and not how do we patch the servers tonight before the whole thing falls over. Yeah. And now a quick break to hear from our sponsor. SAP Experience Management is helping businesses connect to their customers and then connect customers back to those businesses. Just listening to your customers is not enough. Businesses need to respond, react, and relate to them as individuals. Each one of them has his or her own likes, dislikes, and preferences. By combining experience data with operational data, SAP can help your business turn customer insights into actions that make their experiences better. SAP Experience Management helps you turn customers into fanatics and products into obsessions. Learn more at sap.com xm. The best on SAP. Now back to the show. Okay, so uh, Mr. or Ms., you know, prospective uh, technology leader, that is a great point because it ties back to your early one about uh, obliterate, you know, don't automate. And I think if we jump over to another subject here, what's your sense of the talent in this organization and what sort of new talent, new types of skills do you want to bring into this organization? Well, that's an interesting question because it talks to what is IT's job? And what I see in many IT shops is an overabundance of technicians, of people who want to turn the knobs and play with the dials and make stuff faster, better, this way, that way. And what we don't have is enough project managers, change managers, communication specialists, human factors people. We got to recognize that organizational change, real change, is hard. It's not something we do by plopping in new software and writing a memo. What you talked about earlier, can we get better, faster, cheaper? That's how do we do what we do today, better, faster, cheaper? That's relatively simple. Your process that was manual is now automated. The five screens are now two. The computers are all 25% quicker, whatever. 
I can do that relatively easily. But that's digital optimization, making what you have better, faster, cheaper. Digital transformation, culture, products, markets, customer experience, employee experience are very wrenching to the organization. Even to the IT organization, if I'm going to change them to a DevOps, CI, CD kind of environment, I'm changing what people's jobs are. So IT has had to have all the technical people fixing people's laptops and putting new versions of software out. As we move to the new world, it's not that we're going to need fewer people in IT. We're going to need different people. Yes. Now, many of the people in IT can be retrained, reskilled. We haven't given them a chance to flourish. I look around my organization, and that's talking about over 30 years of organizations, and you see so many IT people that are focused inwardly on their screen. And you know what happens when you put them in front of an cu internal customer, or even, again, gasp, an external yeah. customer? Yeah. They actually open up and they go, oh, I didn't know you needed that. I'll tell you a quick story. I had a group in a company where billing was the number one thing we did. That was the main function of our company. And the billing managers had never talked to their IT billing support people other than in project meetings. You know, here's my requirements. We bought them pizza. We sat them in a group, the billing supervisors and the IT folks, we put them in a room, we bought pizza. And one of the billing managers just was opining over the pizza. I got this problem, it's really annoying, blah, blah, blah. One of the managers in IT gets up from the table, doesn't say a word, walks out of the door, comes back 20 minutes later and says, when you get back to your desk, try it. I think it's fixed. This was something that had been bedeviling our largest department apparently for years. But because nobody wrote a project request, nobody in IT realized it was a problem and went and did it. So the IT people in many cases are hungry to be part of that bigger organization. And so the skills may very well be there. We just have to give them a chance to flourish. And part of it is to get the workload of patch this, fix that, the treadmill we go on and run and maintain. If we can change that, we can change what's the flywheel effect. We can put our shoulders to a different flywheel, pull better products, better services, better customer experience, and get it off the flywheel called patch, 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 patch. Yeah. And that's, it's a beautiful confluence. It's kind of a beautiful thing when things come together and we get a virtuous circle. And I think we're coming to that point in IT now. And you're talking, Wayne, about all these things, as you just mentioned, really tying together. They're not separate, uh, disparate pieces here. It's part of that leader's job. And I think in some ways what you're describing is a culture warrior who is able to come in and do things like the pizza party that solves a, what seemed to be an intractable problem that existed for a long time. So, all right, Wayne, if you switch back to being the prospective uh, technology leader, I've got two more questions for you. Um, as the CIO of the board, we feel that the CIO should have some responsibility for revenue generation. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't know that the CIO should have his or her own profit center. I've done that, it doesn't work. Let me tell you why. I once got set up as go make revenue for the company. You're going to bill everybody at market rate. I worked for a CFO who was very market oriented, University of Chicago trained. Mm -hmm. and, and so he said, go make money. And so I built a price list and started charging my internal customers. You know what I found out? That I could make more selling my IT services to outside customers. And what happened is, because my job is now revenue maximization, 
I started ignoring the people in my company who then went outside to somebody offering the service they wanted. And we created a lovely little profit center that no longer had anything to do with the mission of the company. So that was a great example of how unintended consequences rear their ugly head. What IT should be doing is trying to figure out how we can add an IT, a tech component to products and services. Are we selling a widget or are we selling the expanded product that is the widget plus information about the widget or information about how customers use the widget? Uh, we've talked before about the notion that focus groups, if you're the CMO, are a great way to get information. We get a bunch of people in a room, we buy them lunch and we ask them what they think of our product. What if every product, every minute of every day was the focus group? How is it used? What screen do people go on? What feature do they use? What do they not use? How do they call the help desk, our customer support line? What questions do they ask? So let's gather our information right from those tools and then use that feedback loop to add information to the product. I once worked for a company that was truly commoditized. Uh, I won't name the industry, but it was a truly commodity business, a race to the bottom. Our competitor came in at a nickel less and everybody switched. And so we built a new product that involved information about money and not just the money itself. And we built a very sticky, very high margin product that transformed the way our customers saw our, our company and transformed the way we made money. And it was uh, applying the knowledge of what companies and customers wanted to know about the service we were providing. So we started selling them information about their own business that we had locked up in our vault, so to speak. And now they could get it information and also, by the way, get it money faster. And so we built a new product that changed an industry. And it was actually built by some IT people sitting around with some marketing people going, what if? And that product was supported and built by IT. And in fact, my IT folks were actually supporting customers before anybody even realized it because the product was evolving so quickly. My internal help desk, Again, quick story. I'm listening to a help desk conversation. This is my internal help desk. And somebody's having this incredible conversation with somebody about their, their reports and money and moving. And I said, who are you talking to? And the person said, oh, that was the CFO of XYZ Bank. I said, you're talking to the CFO of a bank? You're the IT help desk. Yeah, well, they had a question and nobody else knows how to answer it. So we answer them. And that, that, Gentleman, by the way, 15 years ago was now the vice president in charge of that product line at a company. Um, but I thought that was remarkable that it's kind of sprang up almost organically and solved a problem customers had and a problem we had in terms of revenue. So to summarize, summarize I don't think we want to go build an IT profit center unless we're in the technology business. But I think there's many opportunities to use the power of IoT and AI and mobility to start building augmented products that offer higher margins, better customer experience, the net promoter score that if you read the Wall Street Journal yesterday may or may not be the be all and end all, um, and also making the employee experience better. So I think that's how the CIO can be a great participant. But I gotta say this, the board, the C-suite has to remember to get the CIO and the IT team involved in the discussions about what they're trying to do. I'm gonna go on my soapbox, uh, quote George Schultz, you've heard me do this before. Yeah. If you want me in on the landing, include me in the takeoff. 
because too many times IT is siloed off in a corner. They report to a functional executive, they sit over here, and they see everything through that filter. And they don't really know what's going on between the customer and the company, between the department and the other department of the company, um, our competitive situation. And so the message back to the board is, I can help you build profitable new products or profitable add-on revenue streams, but you have to let me get involved. Yeah. Yeah. So Wayne, we've got the, the CIO leader as culture warrior, customer champion, and also I, I would think in some ways, you know, an innovation driver. So if uh, we, the board and the CEO choose to give you as the CIO, say an additional 10% into the IT budget, what would you use that additional 10% for? So now think about that question you just asked, because we, you and I talked about it before. The normal question that the CIO gets asked is, what would you do if I cut 10% of your budget? Mm -hmm. so, so let's start with a little bit of math. A typical IT budget is 0.8% of sales to about 2.5% of sales. So what if I cut 5% of that, say 1% or 1.5% of sales? The amount I cut, even though it's a large change in IT, is a minuscule change for the company's top line. And obviously it falls to the bottom line because it's expense. But the rare, rarely does anybody ever ask the question, what would happen if we invested more in technology? So I wanna make the point that while a cut may not be that major in terms of your bottom line net profit and your EPS, what if I could spend an extra 10% fixing the most screwed up process in the company? What if I could spend an extra 10% helping marketing reach more consumers? You know, how many companies have a great digital marketing strategy, a branding strategy involving social media? Because that may not be well understood. If you're B2B, well, who cares? Well, if I could spend a little bit of money on building up a web presence and an SEO and a content strategy, what business could I drive in the front door? Um, every company has the process they wish nobody asked them about. It's the one that fails the audits. It's the manual socks processes. It's the part of the company where everybody goes to die if they're trying to change it because we just can't change it because it's too complicated. Give me another couple of percent of the IT budget to spend digging into that. And I promise you, whatever the process screw up is, working with the business and some dedicated resource, maybe business analysts, maybe process people, maybe technologists, we can unsnarl that Jenga set, pull out the right pieces, and change the way that service is delivered. And that's too often what IT is never given the chance to do, to go seek targets of opportunity. Go fix that. Uh, I had a deal once with the CEO. He said, I have no money to invest in innovation, but I need all this stuff done. And so I made him a deal. For every dollar we could drop to your bottom line, give me 50 cents to reinvest. And he said, what do I got to lose? You're not gonna get it anyway. Well, we got it. And we were able to do things in the company that had not been done for years because nobody had the money. And all of a sudden we said, instead of just dropping it to quarterly earnings, we're gonna invest. And so we fixed processes, we built products, we changed things that had been li living badly for years. And by the way, we cleaned up a lot of technical debt. Yeah. And that's the kind of board conversation that makes probably CEOs pretty nervous. Don't ask a CEO, what would he do with more money or she do with more money? They'll always find a way to spend it. But 
hold them accountable for what they're going to accomplish, whether it's a sales lift or a process improvement or a middle of P&L or bottom line or whatever, and then let them go do it. And you'll find out that for an extra five or 10% of the 0.8% of sales you're investing, you might get tremendous leverage. I mean, obviously that's the concept, right? Operating leverage. IT is a leverageable upside. Invest a buck in IT correctly and how much can you drive to the bottom line? And that's where the conversations need to be going. Okay. Well, uh, you know, job applicant, this has been a very interesting, uh, intriguing conversation. Wayne, I think really this goes back to a lot of the things you're, you've been talking about in our series here of Saden on digital, which is don't separate uh, technology from the strategy. Don't try to make the digital strategy some over here and this is over here. You talk about infusing the organization, the people, the culture, the ideas, the opportunities deeply into the business. And I think those are great messages for everybody to hear, Wayne. So thanks a lot for a, a, another great conversation here today. Always good to talk to you. And I'll make my request for everybody watching and listening and reading, throw some questions our way. Tell me I'm wrong. Let's get into a debate. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I have email. We have video. Let's get this conversation going. Wayne, it's a great idea. Thank you for that outreach. I was going to ask you how folks can reach you, but as you said, you're, you're on all the platforms. They're easy to get to. And Wayne, thanks a lot. Uh, good conversation today. We'll see you again next month for the next installment of Satan on Digital. And to all you folks, thanks for joining us. Please pick up Wayne's uh, recommendation there about passing along the feedback. He's got lots of good ideas. Be happy to share them with you. And thank you very much, everyone, for being here today. We'll see you next time here on Cloud Wars Live.